Hello, everyone. Uh, hi. As mentioned earlier, my name is Haley Smith. Um, along with my co-resident, Spencer French, the two of us have been a part of a residency program here at SBCC over the summer. Uh, so if I don't know you yet, please, I would love to meet you. Uh, this part is kind of fun, but I would say that uh, getting to speak face-to-face, one-on-one with all of you guys uh, has definitely been my favorite part of this whole process. Uh, a lot of the reason that uh, I'm saying what I am today is because of what came from different conversations that Spencer and I had with individual members of the church. Um, so we're talking about this idea of embodiment. And it's something that um, as much as it's been this thread that kind of runs through so many of the conversations that we're having here. Um, I also feel like it's a theme that's run through my life and it's something that's very important to me. Um, so I, I'm really glad that this is also something that seems very reflective of all the hearts of the people here. Um, and if you'll let me, I'd like to tell you a little story of one particular moment uh, that really revealed some of the ways that I feel a lot of us uh, have been taught to handle embodiment in a lot of ways that um, embodiment has maybe not been the most positive experience for a lot of us. Uh, so I'm a teacher. And in my early years of teaching, uh, I did this thing where I would dress to the nines every day because I thought that somehow that would make me not look 16. Uh, it didn't work. <laughs> I will still look 16, evidently, until I'm 40. Uh, so that was short-lived. I've given up on that. Um, but all that to say, I was going to the grocery store one day, and I was dressed far too formally uh, for wrangling 15-year-olds. Uh, and as I was walking down one of the aisles, a man stopped me. Uh, he was a little bit older. He's kind of a burly guy with this scraggly salt and pepper beard, and he was using a walker that had an oxygen tank on top of it. Uh, and he stopped me to tell me that he liked the dress that I was wearing. It wasn't in any sort of like uncomfortable or menacing way. He just wanted to tell me that he liked the style of it and that it reminded him of something that he'd seen when he was younger. And normally, that's where the conversation ends. You pay some, someone a compliment, um, and then like the introverts run away. Um, but uh, he continued to open up to me about more and more of his life. Um, again, normally, this is the part where I'd be like making my way to the exit, trying to escape. But there was just something about how honest and open and trusting that he was being with me. Um, and like I said, when, when we get past the small talk part, like I do love the one-on-one -on -one conversation. Um, so I listened as he told me about how he had recently quit smoking um, and how he had lost a bunch of weight and how he was now doing these things to sort of better himself physically. Um, he, he continued on a little bit longer, and then he sort of bookended the conversation by telling me, uh, again, that he had liked the dress that I was wearing. And that conversation was lovely, wonderful, um, but that's not the part of the story that kind of struck me. Uh, I think the most significant part of the story is actually what happened afterward. Uh, so I was walking a little bit further down this aisle, and now a woman stopped me. Not a whole lot of grocery shopping happened on this trip. 
Um, and she stops me, and she kind of like shook her head and smiled and chuckled and said, oh, bless you, because she had seen the conversation that had happened earlier. And I think that her intentions were good, but I kind of take issue with the idea that I was being given this little pat on the back for having a conversation with someone. And it makes me ask why. Why was it that she felt the need to praise what I was doing? Why did it seem that just like giving someone a moment of my time was this act of grace? And it makes me think that perhaps it was because of his body. While I think that we're making attempts to shift this narrative, most of us have grown up in a time where we're told size has a moral quotient and that your overall attractiveness and consequently your worth as a human uh, is, um, is irrevocably tied to whether you're in a large or a small body. Or maybe it was his age. Western culture in particular is so youth-obsessed that we're constantly flooded with these anti-aging messages, discrediting the beauty and worth and capability of those in old age. Or maybe it had something to do with the walker and the oxygen tank that supported him. In many circumstances, people who don't appear to be fully able-bodied are approached with pity and fear, completely disregarding the world of abilities that they do have. Whatever it was that led to this reaction, the subtle message behind it was that he wasn't inherently worth my time. Because I have to think that if this man had been in his 30s, conventionally fit, uh, and appeared able-bodied, that she wouldn't have had any reaction at all. It would make sense. Of course I would talk to that person. That's no sort of um, outlier reaction because he is embodied in a way that we're told has inherent value. But because of the way this man was embodied, even just a conversation with him was seen as this act of charity. So while I wish that this sort of interaction, this idea um, was just sort of like a cultural thing and that the church was this sort of combatant for these ideas and that this place was always a safe haven for being embodied, um, that hasn't been the message that I've always received. I'd say particularly as a woman, most of the time I've gotten this idea that my body was something that was meant to be controlled and restrained, kind of mitigated. Um, and I know that I'm not the only one. Uh, historically, the church has been complicit uh, in actively and passively shaming the bodies of um, people of color and people based on their ability and, and their size. And I was also delivered this message that shame was this sort of safe default, um, that it was sort of this holier alternative to pride, was to kind of run constantly on a baseline of shame. So I read this book once. It's called The Unbearable Lightness of Being. And in it, one of my favorite moments is where this character, she stands in front of a mirror and she just has this desperate wish that her body could act as a poster for her soul. And I think that a lot of us are probably doing that. Uh, I know that I often do that because we see so much goodness within ourselves. Um, and I think in particularly in church, church contexts, 
Um, we're told that the soul is good, the internal life is good. Um, but when we think of ourselves as so good internally, when we see our hearts as so good, but the messages that we're receiving is that externally that is bad, externally that is not valuable, externally that is not good, it makes us feel like there's this disconnect. And then when we internalize those messages, that just furthers our feelings of disembodiment and disassociation with the body. But I think that maybe Scripture gives us the invitation to see that connection between our internal and external worlds. I'm not a biblical scholar, uh, but I do know that early on in the Bible, we are told that humans are made in God's image. I won't fully unpack that, nor will I claim to really understand what that means, but we're given this message that we're made in God's image. And further on, we see that Jesus, God, inhabits a body, seemingly double downing on this idea that internally and externally, humans are good, that bodies are good, that we don't have to run on a baseline of shame. And I wish that I could tell you that there was some sort of like easy process to start thinking that way, um, but I could not do that in good conscience. I know that that's something that I am still working through myself. Um, I can't advise you in three easy steps how to uh, completely reconcile the way you've been taught to think about your body. But I do think that if we accept this invitation, if we take it seriously, then maybe we can start on that practice of healing some of the ways in which we've been hurt and in the ways that we've hurt others. A little later on, we're going to hear a poem from Pam Blair, one of the members of our congregation. Uh, and she didn't even write it for this service in particular, um, but it is this beautiful journey of her herself kind of wrestling with what it means to be in a body that has been historically devalued and defamed and wrestling with what it means to then take I am made in the image of God in accordance with that idea. Before we get there, there are a few questions that I think we might want to consider as we start accepting that invitation to see ourselves as those made in the image of God, not just in our souls, but also in our bodies and the flesh itself. Uh, if you took a look at some of the resources that were given to the community a week back, uh, these might look familiar. Maybe if you're someone who journals, you want to write about this. Uh, maybe you want to just take a few moments and enjoy silence and not pay much attention to these at all. And I think that is a perfect uh, practice of embodiment as well. What messages have you received either from culture at large or from the church that contribute to feelings of shame regarding the body? How might your understanding of Imago Dei, humanity as a reflection of God, confirm or combat what you've been led to believe about the physical body? And I think this one might be my favorite. What would you like to believe about your body? And how can you actively remind yourself of this truth? Let's just take a few minutes.
this poem that I'd like to share with you are um, words that um, God had given to me as I struggled with how I reflect on myself. <clears throat> Sensuous in your behavior, yet you waver to love because of fear. Fear that the past is too close to the present, and even though that stuff is irrelevant, you can't see the future because you refuse to look in the mirror. A mirror you no longer smile in, for all you see is old wineskin because you've been drinking all the wrong words. Drunk on words that have destroyed your self-confidence and the evidence is you have not yet claimed your inheritance. There is beauty in your eyes, and the beasts are the lies that try and fertilize seeds of unforgiveness lying on the inside. You see, in order to love another, one must discover your own sleeping beauty. Maybe become the author of the book, I Am Pretty, and I like myself. I like myself because of the image of who I was made, a creator who promised never to leave me, but as long as I wanted would stay. And I'll bathe myself in his blood that cleanses me from the stench of the day. A day that I will one day understand that church, family, and school weren't the only plan, but having dominion over my life, hopes, thoughts, actions, and dreams might help my fellow man. So when I look in the mirror, whom shall I fear? False accusations, manipulation, devastation? Or do I start a revolution beginning with internal evolution when I look in the mirror? so much, Pam. We're going to continue to reflect and pray together. And would you stand with us as you're able? We're going to use these words to pray. Um, Kate is going to lead us, and then we'll join for the parts in bull.
we thank you that holy perfection did not fear, but embraced embodiment. Creator God, we thank you that we are made like you. We thank you for the bodies we are in. We thank you for the assurance that our bodies are good. say that I am loved, say that I'm strong, that I'm held. Join with us and sing. We remember now that at the center of the Christian story is that God arrived in a body named Jesus. I don't know if this is heretical or completely true. Sometimes I wonder about whether even God wanted to know what it would be like um, to love humanity through a body, to physically hold us, to share meals with us, to embrace us, to physically reach down and pick up a beggar or include a leper whose body left them on the outside looking in. Um, we remember that when God arrived, he arrived in a body named Jesus. And we remember that when that body arrived, when God arrived, our world brought violence against that body. It was the violence of betrayal and violent words and lies that were spoken about him. And then it was the violence of physical wounds that were brought upon him. It was the violence of being bound in captivity, hands and feet tied up. It was the violence of the flesh on his back opened, blood coming out. It was the violence of a body that was hung on a tree, the violence of a body suffocating from the weight that hung there. We don't, we don't say that to glorify that violence or to fetishize it. We just say any kind of violence that has ever come against you in your body anything ever done to your body, anything said about your body, any way that your body has been betrayed, you're not alone. Even God is with you in that experience. 
that in those experiences, you are actually given divine solidarity. God came in Jesus and suffered those very things. And so today when we come to this Eucharist meal, we celebrate the God who knows what it's like to live life in these bodies. We remember that God made flesh and blood and matter and said it is good and then he entered into flesh and blood and matter. We remember that God suffered on our behalf. We remember too the joy of tasting and seeing and knowing the goodness of God. And so today when you come to the table, it won't be a theoretical idea. The sacrament will be something you taste with your mouth. You'll take the bread, you'll dip it in the cup, and you'll put it on your lips. And with your body, you'll be invited to remember the kindness of our God, the love of our God, the presence of our God. Some of us might need to bring a repentance to the table. Maybe there are ways that we have committed violence against bodies. Some of us might want to reflect on how we've allowed or even helped create a world where there's violence against women's bodies and black and brown bodies and bodies that don't have the economic resources that some of us have, bodies that look different from our own or bodies that have different abilities than the ones that we glorify on screens and stages. Maybe we need to bring a repentance to this meal. But at the end of this, I hope that we would, more than anything, bring gratitude to this meal because it is good to live these lives in these bodies. And so we can say thanks. I pray for these elements and, uh, and then invite you into the corners if you'd like to get up out of your seat to receive. But let me remind you that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread and he looked at his friends and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. And then he took the cup and he said, this is the promise of a new covenant of the faithfulness of God. This has come to be known as the blood of Christ. And I'll confess that that's an image that's challenging for me. It can be a little morose. Um, but I also know that, in fact, it has been moments when I've bled that I've been most in touch, that I live in a body, right? And it strikes me as a profoundly incarnational, fleshy thing that Jesus gave his blood for us, that love called him to lay down his life to the point that blood was shed for us. And so we remember the body and the blood, and we say thanks. Loving God, I pray that these elements would be for us the life of Jesus given for us and for the world. We thank you that we have been given life in these bodies, these different kinds and shapes of bodies. We pray that you would call us to be at home in these bodies that you have given us. We pray that anything that has been done that has perhaps put distance between us and our bodies, that has shamed us in our bodies, that has wounded us in our bodies, we pray that some healing may happen today at this table because you also lived your life in a body. That that divine solidarity in this flesh and blood experience would be a mercy and a grace to us today. We pray that we would repent and lament for the ways that we might have brought violence to bodies. And we pray today that when we taste this meal, that it would be in flesh and blood, in our palate, our throats, down to our bellies, that we would sense your presence and your kindness in this world. So we thank you for this sacrament. We trust that you meet us in it. We pray through Christ. And we all said,
Amen. As you'd like, you're welcome to get up out of your seat and go to a table in one of the corners to receive.
like Haley said, we're not going to figure this all out in one sitting, uh, but hopefully this started a conversation or a journey for you. Uh, if you leave here with one thing, I hope it's just the knowledge that just as you are, you are loved by God, by us in this room, by this community. And so to close, uh, we'll just finish with this chorus one last time, listening to the voice of love. Let's stand together as you're able as we close. I just want to say thanks to Haley for teaching us today. So may you hear the voice of God who spoke over flesh and blood and matter and said, it is very good. May you know the God who has arrived in flesh and blood to live in divine solidarity with all that we experience in these bodies. May we build a world where every kind of body is honored for the dignity that it carries, whether we respect it or not. May we know the Christ who is holding us together in our bodies in these very moments because he loves us. And may grace and peace be with you. Amen. Love you guys. See you soon.